You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to season three of Talk Back, the Dramatist Guild's podcast about building the theater we want to see. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. This season is all about collaboration. We literally cannot make theater without one another. And after more than a year of so much isolation, we're celebrating some of our partners in art making and exploring many ways in which they collaborate with one another. In our first episode, we'll talk about the journey of bringing a culturally specific show to a predominantly white institution and the inherent challenges and opportunities. Our guests are Rahana Lou Mirza, Ruhi Mirza Pandya, and Natasha Sinha, who are working to bring Bang In It to its world premiere at the La Jolla Playhouse in 2022. Bang In It has book by Rahana Lou Mirza and Michael Lou, and music and lyrics by Sam Wilmot. I asked our panel to start us off by telling us a little bit about the show and how they each got involved. Hi, everyone. I'm Rahana Lou Mirza, and I am one of the book writers for Bangin' It, a musical that's going up at La Jolla Playhouse in 2022, COVID-related. Hello, I'm Natasha Sinha, she, her. I'm a dramaturg and producer of new work, and on Bangin' It, I am involved in a dramaturgical capacity. Hi, I'm Ruhi Mirza Pandia, she, her. I am on Banging It, a casting and cultural consultant with SRC Partners. Welcome to all of you. I'm so excited for you to tell me all about your show. Rahana, do you want to start with telling us about a little bit about the show and also how you all came together as a team? Yeah, so Banging It, I had actually started writing as a screenplay in my early 20s. I was obsessed with collegiate sangra competitions. So I would basically trade writing classes for tickets to a show and housing in somebody's dorm room just so that I could see this cultural dancing in competition form. And so, you know, Bang and It came out of the idea of sort of the backstage drama, but also the very compelling dance moves that I myself could never really do. <laughs> so it was out of desire to sort of try to do that I guess in some way even if it wasn't physically it was you know mentally in my head I was doing all these moves and then eventually my husband Mike and I met Sam Wilmot the composer lyricist doing the 24-hour musicals and we wanted to do something more uh, substantial because we didn't kill each other writing all night long together so then we thought okay banging it could be that Natasha came on fairly early on in the process I guess as we 
we're trying to develop the story because initially we wanted it to be sort of a bad news bears meets bring it on or like a pitch perfect meets bring it on type competition. But then as we started to pace on some of the identity issues and uh, cultural issues onto that structure, we started to realize that there were some real pitfalls in terms of the meta narrative and what we wanted to say and how there can be some like demonizing that we don't want to be doing. And so I think, Natasha, I think we asked you to come on board as a dramaturg during the springboard process, which was like the Jerome Robbins uh, Foundation had funded a dance workshop. And as a dancical, it was so important to this piece to get the physical language of it right as well. But we had, before that process, we had only had one reading of it through Rhinebeck. And that was like somewhat of a real awakening of like, oh my gosh, we have to be really careful with what we're saying. <laughs> so we really need to get somebody on board who has an outside eye to all of that. Before we go on, I'd love for our listeners who might not know much about Bangara and the culture that surrounds it. Can you give us a little bit of background about that? Whenever people ask me what Bhangra is, I like do some terrible move. I try to like show them and it's always, it looks really bad. <laughs> so I think it's probably better coming from someone else. But Bangnit is about a mixed race girl, Mary, who competes on a Bhangra team, but then feels like she doesn't fit in there and starts a ragtag team of her own. And it launches this whole cultural identity journey. And Bhangra is basically a Punjabi Indian dance form that's done in collegiate competition, but it's morphed into sort of a multiple like you know, wedding dances or like with hip hop. I don't know. This is really dated of me, which is why I'm pausing. <laughs> but like Usher did a, like sampled some um, Bhangra in in his song. But yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stop now. Okay, thank you, Rana. Natasha, this would be a, probably a good time to ask you how you came to be a part of the team and also to give us a little background on Vangra and and how it resonates with you. Yeah, I, I mean, I've known Mike and Rihanna like from around the theater community for years, of course. And so when they reached out during development, wanting more eyes and ears on it, it just sounded so exciting. I think there's a lot of stories that are out there or getting picked up or feeling like they need to be created that that really explore other kinds, other other cultures than we usually see, but oftentimes with a weight that feels like it's the only way to get into a story that isn't familiar to white audiences. And this is just really exciting that it was so fun, that it was rooted in Bhangra, something that, you know, a, a, this dance form that for me personally, my little brother was in college and he was in one of these teams. He would get paid money to dance all around the country while he was in med school. And it was just so wild to me as a person who's been in various parts of the arts for my whole life, but not really dance. And it's always been something that I've been really intrigued by from but from an outside perspective. So it was really exciting when Mike and Rihanna reached out about this. They really wanted to make sure that what they were aiming to tell through the story was actually being told and reaching the audience the way that was intended. And I mean, about Bhangra, what I also love about it is it's a dance, but it's also, it's like a workout. I mean, you could just Bhangra your life away and not have to work out ever. It's very intense. It's really fun. And like, 
life-giving to just watch it even. And so that kind of energy feels so right for a musical, for a big musical. It just feels like this was waiting to be made into a musical. And the way that Rihanna and Mike are putting it together is just incredible. Speaking of it being a big musical, there are a lot of cast members in this show, right? And so I want to ask Rui, how did you come into the project and how has it been for you to uh, be looking at casting such a, a large, beautiful company of actors. SRC Partners is a cultural advisory firm, and we came on board as the casting and cultural consultant. Kaleri Jensen and Davis is the actual casting directors of the show, but SRC Partners is a cultural advisory firm. And with my business partner, Sandhya Jane Patel, we really believe that representation matters both on stage and on screen. So we try to help companies, predominantly white companies, to really get that cultural aspect correct and accurate. And also casting-wise, we're, we're reaching out to the communities in a large way in order to break down traditional barriers of theater. For instance, for this particular show, we made it really simple as possible for folks to just send in their materials. We did a huge open call nationwide, hundreds of people um, submitted, which was amazing. I think that most people would never get this chance normally if they didn't hear about it. So I think that that makes it a little different, bringing in somebody from the community in order to try to reach the community casting wise. This is Rahana. I just want to chime in absolutely. Like I was pretty insistent on getting a cultural consultant on board for banging it as well as being pretty insistent about getting a dramaturg um, on board that's South Asian and that's steeped in both both musical theater, which is its own world that I'm still learning about, as well as South Asian culture, which is its own thing as well. So it's like, there's a lot of learning curves. And I think, you know, we've all been there where where we've seen casting calls and been like, that's not for me, right? Or we've seen show blurbs and we're like, that show is not for me. As a member of the community, this is a show about the community that's not a show for the community. <laughs> so, like, so I think the language of it really matters. And, and, and for me, being able to take some of that off my plate, knowing that like I am focusing on creating the story that I want to tell, because you know it's not a story that's going to be for everyone. I always say this, that with any non-culturally specific show, like it's assume that there's going to be an, a specific audience for it and then and that some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to like it and then there's so much pressure on a culturally specific show that everyone must like it or that every that it must speak to like every person's story because there's such a dearth out there of stories and so for banging it we just really had to be very specific about it and then get the people on board that could help us do that and for us it was Natasha and Rue. Rahana, I think that is so smart, and I can't actually believe that we don't all do this from the beginning because it makes so much sense to have a team that you can collaborate with and bring forward. And I wonder if there were any specific conversations that you had with with your producers about bringing this specific team with you and that they were part of the the package, I'm assuming. We would just kind of repeat ourselves a lot. <laughs> just like, oh, is Natasha available? Do we know Natasha's schedule? <laughs> like, oh, do you think Natasha's going to come with us? <laughs> you know, every step of the way. You know, instead of asking for it, you know, we were really specific about, like, who we wanted. <laughs> you know, and even with Rui as well, I was like, you should meet with Rui. You should meet with Rui. I know she's 
my sister, and that can be considered nepotism, but she's, along with Sandhya and along with her um, husband, Gitesh, I've been doing marketing and consulting for, you know, a good, a good couple decades. You want people that do their job well, you know, on your team. You know, you want your people that, like, not only get what you're doing and, like, let you do what you need to do, but then have their own world that they operate in and they do 110% in their arena as well. That's kind of like what I want in my world. And so that's how I advocate it in you know, institutions that don't necessarily always do that. They don't necessarily have so many people. And there's always a thing like too many chefs in the kitchen, but I'm like, there's several kitchens going on here. <laughs> do you know how much food we have to make? <laughs> That's a great, great analogy. And I think, I imagine that it would take the pressure off of, especially a predominantly white institution, from thinking that they have to know everything, which of course they can't, nobody can know everything. So I, I'm hoping that this becomes really a common practice, that we who are creating culturally specific pieces feel em empowered to bring a team together. I'd love to know how you partner with one another when you're doing a reading or when you have a new draft, how do you each work with one another? I'll start with Natasha. I feel like this is constantly evolving. And now as we're moving into bigger steps for the show, I'm really excited to see what, what that will be. A lot of what we've talked about is really how to, how to prime folks for the story that's coming up via the beginning of the show, right? Like that, that is one way in, um, and that is true for, honestly, for, for most shows that are being developed, and especially for musicals, there's a lot of talk oftentimes about, like, what is the opening number? How are we establishing what kind of show this is so that people can take in the rest, focusing on the right components as, like, the primary ways of getting story, of getting information in. So story development in general, which embeds a lot of the other questions about culturally specific this or that, right? For example, like Rayhana was saying, part of it may be who we assume the audience is. Are we explaining for, for white folks? That tends to be a default, whether or not it's actually stated. Are we only talking to folks from the South Asian diaspora? That tends to be what folks assume is the goal. Or is it a blend while centering the brown folks? Who is the core audience we want to be speaking to while also welcoming others? There's a lot of conversation in the show about who is enough of a particular racial identity to claim it. And I mean, the show does that in a way that's so entertaining with like sneak attack meaning and really interesting stuff that it brings up, but it does it through again, like so much joy and dance and, and humor. And it's, it's just, it's incredible. But like, is an Indian and white young woman enough of being from, from a particular culture and how we show that, not just tell it via dialogue. How do we like feel the dynamics of it, feel it in the songs, understand it, in the pacing of various storylines. I think a lot of our conversations really begin with questions and com and just, you know, asking what a particular line or relationship or dynamic in a scene might be about and the way they pile up and the accumulation of various events in a play, right? So for example, in this, in, in Banging It, there's this main lead who identifies as Indian and also as white. What does that mean? And does she feel Indian enough? This is something that's discussed throughout and how much, how, how does that sort of also interact with the rest of her Bhangra team, which she 
leaves, and this is not a spoiler alert, really, but it's the thing that sets us off into the rest of the show. But what does that mean in terms of those dynamics and feeling part of a community or not, and then creating her own community, and then what the definition of that is. So really getting into the questions behind the storytelling choices that have to do with culture, that have to do with various parts of the umbrella of a particular culture, because there's a lot of nuances, there's a lot of different stories within one umbrella. And that's, that's something that we're really wrestling with, which can be tricky when so much of theater is created for and by a white lens. But that's what we're really trying to keep discussing and keep in the air throughout. And there are white folks on our team too, right? So it's, it's and that's, I think that's very, it feels very intentional and organic and right to me, because the whole point of of having these conversations and, and telling the story, I think, is to really honor various identities and how you sort of feel like yourself within that fully, fully yourself. Okay, how, how about you? How do you uh, interact with the team? How do you partner with one another? Yes. So I mentioned before, Clary Jensen Davis are, are the casting directors on this show. I'm ha- helping as a casting consultant and that reaching out to the various communities. I work directly with Amy, the director, and she's very aware as a white woman, she might not have the same views as somebody like myself would bring to the table. So it's been a really lovely collaborative experience as far as coming to the table with either lived experiences or experiences that we can share with the team. As far as bringing in casting as well, we try to bring in everybody uh, from the Punjabi and Sikh communities so they can be seen so that we show a very accurate and authentic story. But the show is for everybody. I mean, the story is an American story. That's the biggest thing that we want to come across. So while we are making sure that the show is culturally accurate and um, authentic, we also want to make sure that everybody will be, be able to see the show and enjoy it. We're going to take a quick break. More from the team behind the new musical Bangin' It when we come back. And we're back. There are so few stories about South Asian individuals being produced on our stages, even in 2021. I asked the Bang In It team about navigating the pressures of representation. Here's Rohana. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because, you know, everyone going into the show, South Asian and non-South Asian alike, are feeling this sort of pressure because if you look at it, the last and only South Asian show on Broadway was Bombay Dreams, which also was not, you know, it was not about an uh, American team. It was about, again, tracing back to like Indian dreams of becoming a Bollywood star. I think it's problematic to try to make the show about everything. Nobody wants a story about with everything in it. It's just, it's too much. If you tried to do that, actually, people would turn away from it. And yet the ironic thing is that I think there is a sort of an underlying expectation to do that. Sure. I mean, you know, I'm sitting around for 500 years looking for a protagonist like me and I you know and I haven't gotten it yet and I feel for people when they come see banging it there are going to be people who watch the show and be like oh my god I competed on a bungra team and I don't see myself in the show and I and I'm and I'm going to feel bad <laughs> but there'll be hundreds of other people who come to see the show and you know, may or may not have competed on a bungra team and will see themselves in it somehow I used to think Oh, I got to change everyone's opinions. That's why I used to write. I have to change the world. And then I was like, wait, that's billions of people. That's going to be real hard to do. <laughs> then I realized, oh, actually, I write for the people 
that can connect to it? And how do I start curating that audience, those people? How do I start forming that connection and start speaking directly to them? Hi, this is Natasha. I just wanted to add to that. I'm unsure if there's really any way to do that anyway, like to, to represent every brown person, every person from the South Asian diaspora in and I don't think it's like, oh, can you do that really well? Are you good enough of a writer to do that? It's not even about that. I think it's, you know, like Rihanna was saying, I think it's hard for those of us within a community to not fully identify with a show that finally comes around, but doesn't quote unquote represent them if that happens, right? And I mean, in general, for many of the stories that are coming out, especially in the past several years. But would would any white artist be asked to be representative of every white person. That sounds so ridiculous when we say it, right? Because we're pummeled with stories. I mean, I grew up with so many stories that were all centered around folks who are white and so much so that we don't even recognize it as a defining factor. Whereas something like, you know, something about the South Asian world suddenly brings to mind Bombay Dreams and Monsoon Wedding, which are yes, two other musicals that include this community, but Beyond that, like, I'm not sure I understand what those similarities are. So I think what we actually need is just to lean into multiplicity of stories so that this is one of many stories. Yeah, I think piggybacking off of that too, the South Asian American experience is so both specific and completely different, even under the Asian American umbrella, right? If you look at how diverse of an experience that can be in terms of our backgrounds and cultural norms and within and you sent glue in, narrow in on South Asian culture too it's so different and so I started really thinking through like why is this so hard to try to capture like a generalized experience and I'm like oh well this makes sense my mom like wrapped a sari a certain way and a different family is going to wrap a sari a different way from that and each one is going to insist that their way of wrapping a sari is the right way to wrap a sari <laughs> so like you can't actually represent wrapping a sari on stage for everyone, right? And then what I'm trying to do as an artist on top of that, I'm not trying to just wrap a sari. I'm like, hey, what if we were to take the sari and make it out of a, a flower bag and then and then weave in some gold threads and like do all this strange things and then wrap it? That's not a sari anymore. <laughs> like, well, I don't know, maybe it is. And so like the reason why like also the presence of Natasha and Ruhi, along with our other collaborative teammates like Ruj Vaidya, a choreographer, and Deep Singh, who does the percussions and additional music composition, who are all South Asian, but we're all so different and we all will argue to the death about like where we come from and what we believe in. And that's good, I think. And that's what actually makes this project so different than other ones, because I think there's this false equivalency that agreement means right mm-hmm. or that agreement means good and for me i think sam actually said it like when everyone's arguing and everyone's unhappy that's how you know you we've discovered something <laughs> that's great Ruhi. i mean that's america right like i feel like america is made up of all different types of people we're all here we're the melting pot so i feel like that's why this show represents south asian americans but really just americans so it's a story, an American story about identity. Rui, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about marketing and how you you approached La Jolla, for example, with your marketing ideas. How was that to collaborate with them? It's been really great working with La Jolla 
Playhouse. I think that their marketing team's really great. I think they're very open and collaborative to ideas. Gitesh and I have worked with Hollywood studios for the past 20 years, putting out films for the Hollywood and Bollywood and the, the, through the South Asian community. So we know how to reach that particular community. So I think La Jolla Playhouse really recognizes and respects our expertise. So we've enjoyed working with them. It's very similar to working with white Hollywood studios. I feel like they need to know different things and they don't know ways to reach particular communities. I think that's been uh, really great that they're open to that. I think that most theater companies have not been. Also, I guess that's also part of the, there hasn't been that many brown stories out there to market. So hopefully this is going to be the start of something more where you'll see more brown stories or more underrepresented community stories, and you'll see more BIPOC uh, stories being told on stage. Thank you. I'd love to know any of the specific challenges you might have come across in preparing to work with, with a predominantly white institution that you want to speak about. Rana, do you want to start with that? With La Jolla, they've always been really open. Like we've been playwrights in residence there, Mike and I. And so I think being around us, they get to know who we are and it becomes more of a relationship. But I think when you're dealing with primarily white institutions where you just kind of fly in for your play for like, you know, that process, it's much harder to develop a relationship, right? And all of a sudden, like I'm making demands as a partner on a theater and they're like, whoa, man, we're on our third date only. What do you mean? <laughs> like, no. So I think it becomes a little bit harder to explain why and make that case when you don't have a fully committed, trusted foundation underneath you. Right. I think La Jolla trusts when I'm like, yeah, I need cultural consultants and I need this and I need that. Unfortunately, when they ha have a BIPOC play coming in, you know, a friend of mine pointed this out like, oh, they don't see the need for a cultural consultant because they have you. And it's kind of a little bit unfair. I realize, whoa, that's like asking like a playwright, oh, since we got you, why don't you just clean out the bathrooms? Or, like, <laughs> or hey, like while we have you, can you just like do this Twitter feed? about how to market the play. And I'm like, I'm literally making cuts. I'm like, in act one, can you just, can I not have to think about that? And, I, and I've and i heard this actually amongst a lot of BIPOC artists of, oh, I know that the audience I want isn't going to be there. So I go out and I do these events and I bring them in. And I'm like, I have a lot going on in my brain and I need like extra hands because I think for me, a play or a musical isn't finished until the audience interacts with it, right? Like you can have a play or a musical in a drawer and it doesn't mean anything, but it means something when you have that full engagement, that part of it is so important to me, getting the audiences in there that will actually receive, be there to receive it. Natasha, I know that you have something to add. I'll just say, I mean, I find it's also always just so relationship based, which is maybe the only way to keep it from feeling transactional or product-based, which is not the vibe I'm ever looking for in theater. And and yeah, I mean, I, I've worked, I've worked with a couple of theaters off Broadway in the city, and that, that feels like always the way to combat coming at a show from a lens that is not actually relevant for the show in any way, again, whether it's a cultural reason or some other reason. But I think really understanding what the show is about, why it's there, what it puts forward and how from the generative artists is just for me, always just the way to go and always the most interesting way to go. And like we were saying before, I think it's also about understanding together and getting on the same page about who is in the conversation from what 
space we're trying to tell a story and to what audience and what the sort of obstacles there are so that they're all laid out, even if it's still something that's being navigated and might be navigated the entire time, actually. So, yeah, and I also, you know, I've been developing and producing these theater for, for years and questions about cultural specificity are basically in one of many buckets of dramaturgical conversation that comes up, whether I'm wearing producing hat or dramatur dramaturging hat. It's not new it's just more spotlit recently because of what's been moving into the zeitgeist the past few years sometimes that can be frustrating to be honest this has forever been important it's just been silenced or marginalized before whether actively or passively but suddenly now there's an upsurge of folks who want to make sure that they're caring about the things that they're supposed to be caring about but ultimately i am relieved that we're moving towards like a fuller discussion about stories that don't live in the narrow scope of what theater and particularly musical theater has focused on in the mainstream in in this country and you know the the mainstream and the the western canon are so used to considering musical theater from the lens of white male able-bodied folks cis folks even though our world obviously includes so many more of us so it's really about trying to figure out how to reshape that lens and or even just understand what the lens is so that we can know that together and take efforts to look at it through other lenses. So it just feels like we need this multiplicity of lenses that Rahana and this team have built into this process from the very beginning so that no one person holds cultural knowledge because that's not a possible thing. Right, right. Yes, I think that that part of the advancement that's been happening this year is the acknowledgement that there are different stories and different lenses through which we should be looking at them to get a, just even more enjoyment out of all of our theater going, right? How can we forge productive conversations with our producing collaborators before we even get to production so that we can make it clear that things that we need, the people that we need with us on our teams and, and be heard? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it was really interesting. Like, you can't do it. You can't build an empire all at once, right? So we brought people on step by step, and you know, it also started with Rujvaidia, our choreographer, was one of the key things because you know a lot of the choreographer names that get tossed out, they're you know you need people with musical theater experience, and the people with you know musical theater experience happen to be all non-South Asian and non-female. <laughs> this is a female poor <laughs> show, as you can see. Building that team and having you know, considering all perspectives, it's not just about South Asian perspectives. It's like, these are two female leads and that's never been like, you know, we're actually four female leads and that's very rare to see and all of these things. And I, and I, I mean, I think it's as every artist, you have to start thinking through what you need very early on, because I think Rui can probably speak to like what happens when, when she's brought on to a show too like late in the game when people realize there's a problem it's, it's always too late to respond to things like when you create work that's in response to something it's never as strong as when you declare it like at the start so it's sitting down being like who do i need on my team and where do i need to fight for it right because you can't get everything and you can't get everyone and you need to understand that this is actually a collaborative process actually the work will be made richer when you have that give and take and so it's really just having the hard discussions, which I think people tend to avoid as well, because there is no dialogue for it right now. There is no precedence for like any of this conversation around DEI work or around community engagement, but like no practice of it, right? There's no practicum. 
So like, what does that look like? And I think both Natasha and Rui have a great experience of on the ground work. I, I also just want to say how smart I think, well, you all are, but the idea of not having to take the burden on yourself to be the cultural consultant when you've written the thing too, is so mind-blowing and, and incredible. Incredible. Thank you. This is Ruhi. When you get to the PR side, when you're marketing the film and it's already done, it's too late. <laughs> All the mistakes are there. The DEI wasn't baked in. And as a uh, publicist, you're just there to spin whatever mistakes that were there. We want to see DEI baked in from the beginning. We want to see cultural consultants, or as we call ourselves, cultural producers, to be an industry standard for any type of show, film, TV series that you're making. We want you to hire a cultural consultant. It doesn't have to be me or Sundia. There's tons of us out there that actually are doing this type of work and think this work is very important because we feel like it needs to, to be done and in, everything out there needs to be accurate. <laughs> you know, that's the, I mean, I keep saying that word, but it, we really want things to be accurate and done in a sensitive way. Thank you. And I, I do think that in the past, people have assumed that the writers would be that person and not need, feel the need to hire an outside source, which of course is uh, so key here. What have I not touched on that you'd like to say, Natasha? This is a lot of sort of from scratch, thoughtful work that has to be done early on. Otherwise, there's a lot that's getting baked in and not really acknowledged or intentionally put there. So I just wanted to add that because I feel like it's really important to think about this stuff from the beginning. As a dramaturg, I get a lot of artists giving me their scripts once they're in like full draft, like number draft number four form, asking if, if something is being authentically represented. And I never know how to answer that. <laughs> and at this point, I sort of don't really engage with that kind of work because I don't know how to do it. I, I don't know. I'm not a expert at a culture. I think I'm, I'm good at <laughs> developing storylines um, and developing theater. And this is part of that, but it's not something you can surgically remove, fix, and then put back into a story. So I think you have to sort of start from the beginning so that the whole organism is functioning with that understanding. Thank you. Sahana, there was a lot of early on just like building from the ground up what the narrative is. And I will say like, one thing that you want to do is choose collaborators that aren't led by fear also, or like find ways in which you're not led by fears in yourself. As an actor, you may never have put Bhangra on your resume because then you're just going to get someone being like, what's Bhangra? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, how cute. Yeah, you're not hired for this. So maybe like now you're starting to see like, oh, where have I just been undervaluing myself because of certain, like how Natasha was saying, certain ways in which American theater has been built and ways in which we've undervalued global artistic expressions. And so I like to think that this is just like one baby step that like perhaps we're moving the needle just a little bit forward where we can now start to realize how left out some people have been from the conversation and how left out some talents have been, how underutilized a lot of people have been, but who knows? Nobody knows anything. I think what we all have to remind ourselves is like, how do we make room? How do we make space? I want to thank our guest today. Bang In It is set to premiere at La Jolla Playhouse in early 2022. Visit LaJollaPlayhouse.org to learn more about the show and to get tickets. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of Talkback, please rate us, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Talkback is a production of the Dramatists Guild of America. It's produced by Amy Von Masick, Sarah Storm, and me, Christine Toy Johnson, and mixed by Robert Delaney Prine. Our theme music is by Andrea Daly. Our guest producers for this episode are Michael Liu and Shellen Lubin. The Dramatists Guild Presents Talkback is distributed by the Broadway Podcast Network. Join the conversation online and use hashtag DGTalkback. As always, to be continued. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.